good. It's like kind of for me. It's like my daughter's here, Rachel. I want Rachel to stand up and say hi. That's uh, the bad. You want to hear? I think I told. I always tell this bad joke. You, you might remember it if you were here. But I've I've got six. See, I, I'm. This is Jim. I've got eight kids, and they're all boys except for six girls. <laughs> That's a cool way to say that, isn't it? I mean. I, my pastor friend said that, and it's it's like an old man humor, you know, <laughs> in a pastor's joke, and but it's a pretty good one. So, uh, but it, coming here is fun. I I can feel the Lord's sovereign uh, work here. You know that there's 31 flavors in the body of Christ, and we have to be really careful about saying I'm chocolate chip and sp and spumoni is just really not that good, <laughs> you know, and. There's this is a there's a beautiful flavor of the body here and a knitting of hearts and a sovereign joining here and you know you, everybody can't be everywhere everybody, everybody has to be someplace and everybody has to be chocolate chip or spumoni or mocha or you know whatever there's 31 flavors they're out there they're out there and we just got to say as long as it's ice cream we are gonna bless it we're gonna bless the ice cream of the kingdom of God, the 31 flavors. And coming here is fun because it's, I mean, if you really, you guys don't understand, but you're like, you're, you know, you know, it's a wonderful life. You, you guys are living. It's a wonderful life. If you just shut your eyes and listen to Paul talk. I mean, Clarence, Clarence, where are you, Clarence? Clarence, Clarence, please. You know, I mean, listen to his voice. I mean, it's like crazy. It's like a living Whatever that guy's name was. What was his name? Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, he's the Jimmy Stewart. The Jimmy Stewart of the kingdom of God, you know. And really almost with the same revelation in, in a way that that movie was trying to release. Like, you know, your life really means something to God. And he has a father spirit. Him and Karen carry that mom and dad spirit and anointing and mantle. And, and that's part of why you're here. You know, there's something... You can come anywhere and hear hear a message and hear some somebody play some music, but you know we really come because we're designed to be loved, and we're designed to have a kind of a mom and a dad in the spirit uh, around our lives. And oh, is that me or you? So I'm I'm grateful for them. Um, and I'm here because I'm, you know, I'm a friend of, I have the privilege of being a friend of some other men in the city. And these are men that have said, we are going to love each other, even though we're building the kingdom and we aren't building in competition. We're building together, even though we're maybe different flavors of the 31 flavors. And God loves that when men say, we're going to, we're going to bless each other instead of be suspicious of each other. We're going to build together. We're going to honor each other. And what comes out of our mouth is going to be blessing. And that, you know, the devil hates that, and the Lord loves that, and Paul and Karen are part of a network of churches and men in this larger area that are, ch have, are choosing to do that toward one another and say, this is who we are, this is how we're going to act and what we're going to say and what's going to come out of our mouth. And uh, that changes the atmosphere of places, and it's one of the essentials if we're going to have a spiritual movement of God like we want to say we have it, you know, we got to, we, we, that unity 
Unity doesn't mean we're all going to do exactly the same thing and all climb the same ladder and all show up at the same park the same day and have exactly the same way to do outreach. But unity says we speak well of each other and these are my brothers and we're part, we're in the, we're in the, in the freezer, you know, we're the tub right next to the other tub, you know, <laughs> the 31 flavors were in there. So I love that about coming here and the Christmas lights and everything. It's, it's sort of like, now it's walking up the Christmas lights. There's snow on the ground. There's Christmas lights. I kind of wanted to run into the house and say, you know, something. <laughs> I don't even know. Kind of live in that movie. So let's all watch that and be interceding for Paul and Karen <laughs> during the holidays, okay? I want you to do that. I want you to pray a special blessing over this mother and father. When you, if you do watch that movie or as you're wherever you're at with your own family, to thank God for your own family but also for those spirits, those people, moms and dads, leaders that help us become more the sons and, and daughters that we want, we long to be in the kingdom of God. So can you do that? Can you really bless them as you during the holidays and just extend a special blessing to them? That's why I'm here, because I, I happened to stumble into this city and gotten a chance to meet different ones. And I'm here on a relational basis. I'm not here... I'm not some traveling minister, you know, I, 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 my, we have a ministry called Lifeline, and our, our mission is to help, is to find um, men and women, leaders that have a blueprint in their hand uh, because they're, they're in, in a constant state of remodeling and building what the Lord wants, a wineskin that can contain uh, what God wants to do in this hour. The, the new things he wants to do. And how many know that God could have, you know, given us a wineskin some time ago for, for back then, and that worked good for then, but he's always wanting to give us something new. He's wanting to give us a new container for the new things he wants to do, and especially the new things he wants to do in a generation. So that's what we're doing. And part of our mandate is to help those leaders that have a wineskin in their hand uh, to serve them by releasing revelation into the spheres of their influence, into the, the communities they're gathering, the churches, the networks, the schools they lead, uh, revelation about uh, sexuality, and really the war against a generation. You know, how many of, I could say, how many of you are feeling a little bit of pressure against you from the culture about who you are in terms of your sexuality? You know, I mean, it's like a constant pressure. You know, it's a constant assault. And... You know, I think we can uh, not like that, not like the pressure and ignore it, kind of turn away from it and say, I'm just not going to deal with it. Or we can rise up and, and deal with it head on. And, you know, tonight we just want to talk about some of that. Uh, talk about revelation about uh, how many know that the, one of the greatest offenses is to expose the enemy's plan. I mean, if, if you if you. Uh, uh, expose the enemy's strategy, you know, like on a sports team or even in war. If you understand what the enemy's going to do or how he's doing it, and he does that very consistently, and you begin to talk about what he does, guess what happens? What he does doesn't work anymore. And, you know, there's a lot of things that he's loosed against people. He's loosed it against a generation. And if we don't talk about it, and the only way we even encounter what he's done is on a personal level where we're defeated, but I think we got to go from personal to understanding he's assaulted a generation, he's working his work in, in, in a global, cultural basis, and he's been doing it 
historically for the ages. You know, we see it biblically and, and historically that this isn't a new thing. And we start looking at it through some other filters. God's going to start bringing us revelation, and we're going to be able to, to understand and, and really grow in our identity as in Christ and be the sons and daughters we want to be and walk in a spirit of purity. I know there's men here that want to be authentic men. And the great, one of the greatest questions you're asking is, how can I be an authentic Christian man sexually? I mean, what does it mean to be a, a walk in a sexual responsibility as an authentic Christian man in this culture that has gone crazy with this spirit? So let me just mention, I'm just saying that because we, part of our mission is to get revelation into communities and churches and schools and serve leaders that have that mandate and part of what we've done is try to develop revelation and we've got a table full of stuff that is revelation and we got cds and tapes and videos and if, if this is something you're curious about or something you've been saying i i want to i want to dive into this i or i've got some things that have become strongholds or I'm coming out of some strongholds and some healing, and I want revelation. Like, you know, we've got, like a lot, we, I work a lot in discipleship schools, and a lot of times I'll give a young daughter or a young son, uh, a student in the school, I'll just say, hey, here's a CD. Listen to this 10 or 20 times in a row, will you? Till you know exactly what I'm going to say, because it needs to become really part of you, not, 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 not because I'm the exclusive author of revelation and if you don't have it from me you're not going to make it but in you know but in the sense that you know you've, you're receiving something here listen to this 20 times until you get it till it changes how you think and the power of revelation here's you know and this is like a but but the power of revelation is this is that if you still think the same way about the things that have caused you pain you're going to continue to have more pain. And all of us have come to an altar. All of us have raised our hand during a prayer time or maybe even gone to a counselor. And what happens? God pulls what? He pulls pain off you. I mean, you seek God. You cry out to God. Has anybody ever cried out to God and said, God, I'm struggling. And does he come and meet you at that moment? Has he ever met anybody? We've all had that experience in some degree, right? He's met you at that moment. He's pulled pain off your life. And man, it's awesome. It's like, man, I'm in, you know, and, and, but here's the challenge. If we, if we still, he pulls pain off of us, but if we still think the same way about those very things that have caused us pain, even some of the very same things that happened to us, if we still think the same way about the things that have caused us pain, then our pain machine in this brain of ours will download a new batch of pain based on the very same things. And we'll come back, you know, you, you know, how many have come to the altar and two weeks later you're back at the altar again for the same thing or two months later or six months later. And it's like, a, it's kind of like, man, it's a pattern. It's a cycle. I'm not going to get out of this. What's going on here? Trying to get healed, Lord. Trying to get a breakthrough. Lord, I've got shame kind of following me around. I've got memories that are following me around. I've got negative experiences I've had in relationships or sexually that they're following me around. How am I going to get rid of this stuff, Lord? Well, part of it is that the pain machine gets broken by revelation, that you begin to receive something from the Lord and you don't think the same way about the things that have caused you pain. That's why we've got to 
bunch of stuff at the table. Let me just mention them. And this, it's really what we want to talk about tonight. So it's not even really an introduction. It's not, it's just part of our message. But Three Men and Three Destinies talks about sexual temptation for men. Samson, David, and Joseph. Which one do you want to be? I don't want to be Samson. <laughs> and David, you stumbled, you know. I mean, but man, Joseph, what? I pray God the Joseph spirit on every young man, every older man in, in, the, in the kingdom of God. Authentic manhood. The things we have to have, revelations we've got to have to become an authentic man. We'll talk about it tonight. Uh, identity theft is what he's doing with a generation. He's done an identity theft against a generation. They say it takes 300 hours to get your identity back. Social security, bank accounts, credit cards. It's like, how do we ever do this? But I think a kingdom of God question of moms and dads is how long does it take a daughter to get her dreams back when the enemy has come and worked an identity theft against her? And how long does it take a young man to get his self-respect back when the enemy has assaulted him in this area of who we are, our purity, our sexual identity? It's a war. Well, there's like there's seven. Let's make them five tonight. I mean, I, I, I hate even if you let me say that if you don't have any money, just go to the table, go to the table. This is not about trying to make money. We, you know, we're just trying to, we're trying to live, but you know what? We give stuff away and I really, it's about, uh, well, I want revelation in your heart. Some of you though have plenty of disposable income and, and you know, I'm saying skip a lunch and feed your soul. You know, wait another month on those new boots you want to get or the, or the hundred or $200 blue jeans you want to buy and feed, feed some, put something in your soul. You know I mean? Do it. Uh, relationships one and two messages about relationships, courtship, intentional friendship, whatever you want to call it. Two messages on that. I got some biographical stuff I reveal about myself in there. Some of my failures as a young man in the book. This is like the war manual. It's kind of a life message. The war manual. It's called uh, Unmasked, Exposing the Cultural Sexual Assault Against a Generation. I feel like you know, we talk about sexual assault on a person, but I feel like there's been a cultural, demonic, cultural sexual assault against a generation. And this talks about it. We're unmasking the assault, unmasking, talking about, and you know, that's the call is to, is to unmask what the devil has done, uh, to, to expose it. Ephesians says this, it says, have nothing to do with the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Like, uncover what the enemy's doing. Uncover his lives. Let's talk about what the enemy is doing to a generation. And the more we do that, as unpleasant as it is, and we've got to get over this. If we're going to be in this culture with what's going on, we're going to have to get to the place where feeling good and, and talking about things that are pleasant all the time cannot be our only, it can't be the only thing on the menu. Because there's destinies at stake. Lives are hanging in the balance. You, you know, some of your destinies hang in the balance if we don't get this. And there's loved ones that God wants to equip you to reach. You know, you think about the gal. You're going to go home. Some of you are going to go home, and you're going to meet friends that went off to school, and you're all coming back, and you're going to be talking. And, you know, there's some of those friends that literally, you know, what do you do? They, they've started a sexual relationship. You're going to meet young women. Oh, I'm in, the, I'm in a sexual relationship with a young man. Oh, I, I thought you were a believer. Well, I... I'm just kind of struggling right now. What do, you, what do you say to her? What in the world do we say? Like, uh, flee youthful lusts. Um, you shall not commit adultery there. And she just broke up with him. Just like I said it, she broke up with him. As soon as I said that, she just ended the relationship. And man, I, I can't believe it. 
That's not going to happen. Those are great. Those are great truths for discipleship. I, mean, I believe in the. I'm not mimicking the word, but God's got to give us a way to build a bridge into the heart of generation that's under assault in this area, under demonic assault, and we need to begin to have some answers for those people that we love, and even answers for ourselves. It's kind of so funny. This generation wants to save the world from sex slavery, but you know what? We've got to deal with our own sexual slavery. If we're going to break the spirit of the other sex slavery, it's 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 kind of a joke to me, you know. And we've got you know the Sex in the City cast that's going to put on a a banquet to raise money to end sex slavery, and they're the ones that are propagating the very very identity stereotypes on uh, about women that lead to their own destruction. You know, I mean, thinking this is we got to. God's called the church. And so tonight we're going to talk about stuff. I'm not talking about stuff to accuse you. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about principles. I'm going to talk about some things. And, and yes, listen to it through a personal lens. But let's, we're, we're talking as a church. Here's what we need to have. We need to understand some things. And I believe we're going to say some things tonight can really help our battle for purity. It can change our understanding of who we are as men and women in, in the Lord. And I get really excited about what we're doing. And this never gets old to me because, uh, man, every person, you know, every person's life is so important. So, and we're excited. I mean, the book, it's really exciting because we're seeing the Lord breathe on some things. We, we, we just got it translated and printed into the Russian language. We've been to Russia and Ukraine over 30 times, and we're going there. And there are leaders, actually, that want this. They, they, they're saying... It's so exciting to find a leader that's saying, I don't have a system that's completely set. I've got a blueprint in my hand, and I'm wanting to uh, make an addition to the, to the building I've got, you know, the, what I'm building in the spirit. I want to, we're seeing Hispanic, we have also just started a Hispanic translation, and we're seeing Hispanic leaders. I'm, I'm, I'm in churches, uh, what I call Hispanic Reformation churches in America. They're, they're, they're Spanish-speaking. I've got to get translated right in America because they're dealing with Hispanic population, but the leaders are sitting in the front row, literally weeping, hearing the message, because they're, they, they're carrying a burden for the young Hispanic women. They're carrying a burden for the young Hispanic men. They, they, they feel the intense pressure and the demonic assault against the daughters. And we're going to hear that a lot tonight, guys. We're going to hear a lot about daughters tonight. And I just want to say to you, every time I mention the word daughter, I am trying to train you to be the most authentic man on the face of the earth, the most awesome future husband and father to daughters you could ever be. Because if we don't get a revelation of a daughter's heart and we don't get a revelation of the war from hell against what's in a daughter's heart that has been loosed by darkness in our culture, this, this sexual spirit's primarily initial target is after the daughter's heart. And if we don't understand what's going on, I don't believe we're ever going to enter into that place of authentic manhood that God's called us to walk in. And this is not a condemnation. I'm not, when I'm talking about that, and you're going to be sitting there, maybe you're sitting there thinking, man, if you knew the stuff I'm dealing with, you're going to feel condemnation want to come on you. And I want you to dismiss it, and I want you to say, Lord, this is not a condemnation. This is an invitation to me to receive a revelation and begin to respond to some things. And I want to promise you, if you're willing to receive this as a, as a man, in any, you receive this as a man, God will, will change your battle for purity. 
He may require you to bring, he may require you to step out of the darkness into the light. He may require you to bring some things that are hidden into the light, but that those steps out of the, that area of struggle and that hiddenness and that isolation, those steps out of that are the first steps into God's promised victory for you. And I believe that with all my heart. Same with some of you daughters, you know, that, that exposing some wounds or some fear or some brokenness from the past or even shame. God comes and he's so gentle. I mean, he have no, I always say, I love to say this about the Lord. The Lord loves his children and he loves his sons and daughters and even daughters. Guys, again, Jesus is our model. Think about him. He's the pattern son and Jesus had a revelation of a daughter's heart. You know how I know that? Because he gave his life for a girl called the church. And that sounds super symbolic, you know, but he laid his life. He, he chose to call the, the, the body of people that he would give his life for. He chose to identify that in his sovereignty as a woman. And that, that, that was done on purpose. Because perhaps he knew there would be an onslaught against the spirit of a daughter throughout the ages and the sexuality of a daughter throughout the ages and that the pattern of a man willing to suffer and lay his life down for the sake of that bride that would be a pattern for us that we would begin to walk in our sexuality and be willing to suffer and willing to even lay our life down for the sake of the, our mother's, daughter's, wives and sisters in this culture. And we began to understand what's happening in this culture and be able to engage the power of darkness and have a rebuttal and a refutation for what's happening. I believe God wants to put a rebuttal and a refutation in the church to the lies of the culture. I mean, to, to put something in our spirit. And you know, how, we, how do we get that? We can go to a seminar, but we can, you know, you can get one or two things. You can say, Lord, I want to begin to be a man or a woman that carries a revelation in this area about what in the heck is going on, this sexual spirit in our culture, will you give that to me? Because I'm a young lady, and I, number one, I want to have that revelation so I can walk as a godly young woman. I want to I honor God with the power that God's given every woman. I, I want to honor Him with that, power, that sexual power that you've given me. I think one of the most holy things a daughter could ever do on the, in her life is to say, Lord, here's my power to attract that you've given me. This sacred power of my sexuality, I'm returning to you. I never want to use this for myself. I want, to, I want to offer this to you. I want to be responsible in walking with. It doesn't mean you're not attractive. It doesn't mean you don't become. I'm talking about the difference between seduction and, 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 and walking in a stewardship of the beauty from heaven that God wants to give every daughter. And there's a very big difference between seduction and sensuality and that, that heavenly beauty that God adorns every one of, one of our sisters with, man. We, we need to understand that. And I believe God wants that to, to, to be understood. So let's, let's look at one of the scriptures that we've been kind of meditating. We've been looking at it. It's amazing, Revelation 18. And I'm not going to teach on Revelation, but I want to just talk about a few things. And... Uh, But there is this war, and but it's 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 so amazing to I kind of stumbled across this, and I thought, Lord, the way you, this is some of the phrases here are so amazing. Now I hope I didn't go too long. Now we got people leaving already. Uh, when do we end here usually? What's the ending time? 
I know that, but don't you can't say that to me because I'm one of those missionary people that you can, you go to the Russian church, they sit for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. So this is America. I know this is America. And well, yeah, I'll, I'll, let's do that. I want to have some time to pray. I believe God wants to just very sovereignly. I'm not, you know, you know, we're seeing that Lord wants to heal people and you can get in line and somebody can pray for you, you know, but you know what? I, I'm watching the Lord through truth, just and through creating an atmosphere of love with revelation, that God begins to restore people. Just And I believe he wants to do some be- very gentle, beautiful things tonight. And you're not here by accident, you know. If you've been laboring under some disqualification, laboring under some shame, laboring under some memories that are old things that want to follow you around, and like every time you want to begin to like move forward for God, the enemy wants... He holds the shame card in front of you and is saying, oh, 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 you're going to be a little praise the Lord daughter, are you? <laughs> Have you forgotten, you know? He loves doing that. That's a tormenting spirit. Where every time a man wants to lead, he just reminds you, oh, wait, yeah, wait, you want to lead now. Weren't you the guy looking at that stuff last week? This is how the enemy works. I'm being really plain tonight because you know what? We need to be plain to see a generation set free. And we don't, we don't do that to be hurtful, but to ignore it means to jeopardize our destinies. And I, I will not do that. I'm, I'm going to speak the truth because we see what the truth does. We shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And God wants to do some freedom work. He loves to do freedom. And freedom work comes through hearing Hearing the word. This is so exciting. So listen to what the Lord said. He said, after these things, it was Revelation 18. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit. Let's go to verse 3. For Listen to this phraseology now. This is so, it's describing kind of this spirit. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Whoa, that's intense. And the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. I thought, whoa, that's like, that sounds like, that sounds like the pornography industry and sex trafficking and things that are sold by advertising using women to, you know, it sounds like the wealth that's generated by taking the body of a woman and then marketing it or attaching it to other things. That spirit that would do that. Where the very, where the very essence of what God made in his creation, taking the body of a woman and using that to generate and to be sold or to sell or to generate money out of that you know and you see that the spirit of harlotry we always think well what's the spirit of harlotry you know it's well it's like that prostitute on the street corner taking money for sex i go that's not the spirit of harlotry that's that's one aspect of the spirit of harlotry the spirit of harlotry is where someone gives something to get something back do you know that a college freshman girl can walk in the spirit of harlotry and never have held the hand of a boy because she's walking and has taken on an identity through hurt, through her father not filling her heart, 
through a, a desperate need to want to be loved, but taken on an identity of sexuality where she is saying, I need you to look at me. If you'll give me that, I'll, I'll give you this and you give me that. It's an exchange. How many know the reality of, of sexual tension in, not even in a relationship, the reality of sexual tension where you just come into a room or you're in a workplace or you're in a classroom and right away you feel and you know that, you know, there's certain people we're all attracted to. Out of 100 people, there might be 10, uh, 10 kind of people, 10 kinds of people you're kind of attracted to. And then you might be in a place where there's a person like that. And you just walk in the room and they're sat. It's not because you know them. There's a sexual tension that's present there. And that's, boy, that's like a danger. It should be a danger sign to us. And you don't want to move toward that. It's the sexual tension that's created between two people. And that's part of what the Lord wants us to learn to flee from. When he says flee youthful lust, you, you flee from that. I remember that at work. I was working at my, my ut the utility company as a, a married man. I had five kids. I loved my wife. I was you know, doing well in terms of my walk of purity. And, and but, you, know, you just get, and it's not like to villainize this person. I'm not trying to villainize this woman. But you get there and all of a sudden there's sexual tension. So I made it a point to never go into the break room when she was there. And, you know, and you, know you can play games with this spirit. Listen to me. This is dangerous. You can, I could have gone up and said, how long have you worked at the company? You know, and, and how many children do you have? And, you know, how, what, what's your family doing for Christmas? It doesn't matter what you're talking about. The real interaction that's going on is there's a, mess, there's a sexual tension there. And there's actually a spirit it's a spirit. Just like Mrs. Pot Remember Mrs. Potiphar came after Joseph? What did she say to him day after day? Do you remember the phrase she used? Yeah, Joseph, lie with me. How many know there's a spirit when this, when this, this sexual tension spirit is present? There's a spirit in someone that says, you can be talking about kids, Christmas. It doesn't matter. You got to have your radar up. There's a spirit that's saying, lie with me. Lie with me. And that's, that can be a broken daughter. Daughter that didn't have her, you know, the most dangerous equation, I believe, on the earth. More dangerous than the nuclear equation. More dangerous than the chemical, the chemistry behind the Ebola virus. This equation is an, an empty-hearted daughter a daughter with an empty heart plus the power of her sexuality plus the confusion of a young man bound to his lower nature. Lust equals heartache, broken dreams, broken destinies. We see it everywhere. Aren't we seeing it everywhere? This is who God's called us to reach. Some of you are going to go home and meet friends from high school, you know, you're going home to family members, you know, and we, God wants to equip us. What do we say to the daughter who's living with a guy? We kind of just, we don't even know where to start. There's a, there's a helplessness in us. And God wants to begin to give us some keys, and we're going to talk about those at the end, just some keys we've discovered that really have given us traction. I believe God wants to change some of our evangelism and include as crazy as it sounds, include a sexual component 
to what we're bringing to people who are broken because they are more and more we're seeing the, the extreme amount of brokenness the palpable pain that they're walking in if we're willing to touch it comes from relational and sexual issues in their life and it's all over the earth had friends that went to nepal drove to the end of the road trekked three days up into the highlands into villages with no internet no phone no nothing but guess what was going on in the bushes at night Husbands were sneaking off to meet with young women in the village and having sex out in the fields. This is what our missionaries ran into. They ran into sex. And that spirit of, the spirit of Babylon we're talking about. Right there in the, oh, these nice, beautiful village people wouldn't be involved in that kind of, oh, absolutely they were involved in it. Ephesians says this, we don't, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness and world forces of this darkness. And I believe this particular spirit, this stronghold, is a world, it's a world force, world forces of this darkness. I believe it's a, this sexual spirit, the thing, that we, the thing that's assaulting our nation, really promises to bring our, to destroy nations of the earth by, by weakening the families and breaking and creating so much pain. Once the family unit gets broken and begins to be so dysfunctional, it's the beginning and the end of that culture. We see that. A church is only going to be as strong as the families in that church, and families are only going to be as strong as that young adult man and that young adult woman who, who, who God teams up to form that new family unit. And I'm, but but the, the good news is that even though that assault's there and it's, it's relentless, he's healing and restoring. I mean, it's so awesome to see. The devil always overplays his hand. He always pushes so far because young people are really tired of one sexual encounter after another. They're tired of the patterns of failure. They're tired of the confusion that comes with that. They're tired of their identity being sexualized instead of... Re you know, what a, what, to, to recover identities that have been lost, for a young man to be bound, bound to his lower nature, to, to suddenly, to, that identity of being a son begins to be restored to him. Or for a daughter who's allowed, for whatever reason, that a cultural identity of sexualized woman, to have the joy of entering the identity of being a daughter, a daughter to her heavenly father. I mean, that's an identity that God wants to give and restore and cause us to walk in with a joy. Doesn't mean you're not attractive. Doesn't mean you don't someday want to have an appropriate, godly, pure relationship with a young man. But I'm talking about this difference between sensuality and this assault against an identity. That's, that's what's happening in our culture. So we see this in, in, in Revelation 17. It says this. Come here, this verse 1 again, Come here, I'll show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And so those who, who dwell on the earth were made drunk. And I just, I, you know, I think we know this. I, I don't have to, I've been saying this for 10 minutes already, but I, I believe our nation has become drunk. When, you're, when you are an alcoholic, you live for your next drink. It becomes the highest value. It becomes your pursuit, that kind of addictive behavior. And, and we, have, we have decided in America 
that this is one of our highest pursuits, that the pursuit of sexual pleasure, the pursuit of a sexual experience has been elevated to the highest human experience. This is part of the mandate of secular humanism. You know, it's, it's something that has invaded our culture, and you, we see it everywhere. We see it portrayed in the billboard, the magazine rack, the internet, every movie house. I mean, this is everywhere we turn. This is, you can't buy milk without Cosmopolitan saying to you that the most important part of who you are, daughter, is your sexuality. I go, I'm just here to buy milk. Can I just buy my milk? No, the spirit of darkness wants to knock on your door again and remind you that your value is your body and your value to men in particular in this culture and your worth as a woman in this culture in particular is your sexuality. That's so depersonalizing. It is so dehumanizing. It is so objectifying. And again, men, this is our, we need to begin to understand we have no idea what it is like to live in an atmosphere, to, to live in a culture as, as, as your sister, as our mothers, wives, daughters, and sisters do. And I think us beginning to understand what it, begin to even begin to understand what it is like for our sisters and our wives and our mothers and daughters to live under this demonic target where they're being targeted and being assaulted through these messages every day of their life. To be visually assaulted, you know, really visually raped every mall they go to. I mean, the elevator, uh, waiting just for the elevator eyes to check them out, you know. Having to look in the back seat of cars in the daylight in case some weirdo is hiding in, the, in their, you know, like this is a nation under judgment. God never intended our, 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 the women that we love to have to live under this kind of atmosphere. And boy, it's time, you know, I'm believing if we... I believe in God wants to do something with us as men, that, that Adam was called to maintain, to cultivate and protect, guard the garden, and that we are, God is going to begin to raise up some men and begin to understand what's going on. And collectively, fathers and sons together, single young men and fathers and married young men are going to band together and begin to create atmospheres, at the very least in our families, at the very least in our communities, at the very least in our churches, and begin to extend, extend those values and those revelations into the culture. To even if we have to shame the culture into a concession that what's happening is wrong. I believe that's, that's one of my dreams. And uh, I believe we're going to see it happen. And it's going to come with revelation. And that's why, you, that's why you men are here tonight. I mean, you have a hunger and a desire for the Lord. And I'm not, I don't care. I don't care how much failure you've had or if you only knew, Pastor Jim, you, if you knew, I don't, no, that, I don't care. The first step to victory is available in, in the Holy Spirit tonight. And it's part of that revelation. So we're seeing that. You know what's exciting? Let me just mention this because I'm going to get back to it. Here's the Lord talking about this Babylon spirit, you know, this, this sexual spirit. Did you see how he introduced that spirit? It's like he's almost saying this. He's saying, listen. We're going to have to deal with a sexual spirit. We're going to talk about it. We're not going to, we're not going to just kind of avoid it. We're going to break the, we're going to, we're going to break, I want you to break the sound barrier. I'm going to, I'm breaking the sound barrier. I'm saying, here's the sexual spirit. It's this Babylonian spirit. It's this, it's this stronghold, this, this, this demonic spirit of sexuality that's assaulting a culture, assaulting the nations of the earth. It's a world spirit. We got to deal with it. We got to deal with it, but I want to introduce it in a certain way to you. 
Did you see how he introduced it? Fallen, fallen is Babylon. In other words, this spirit that we are dealing with, this spirit that's come after you, maybe come after your own identity, has come after you and caused you to make some stupid decisions you didn't want to make and caused you to have to carry some shame or whatever. This spirit is fallen. Oh, we may think it's powerful. We may think it's strong. We may think it's, oh, how are we ever going to overcome this spirit? No way. This spirit is fallen. It's fallen at the cross. It's fallen by the blood of Jesus Christ. On a personal level, the influence of this spirit has been cast down at Calvary, and we, have a, we can enter into a, 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 a revelation of victory, appropriation of the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of revelation, the power of his work on the cross and the blood to cleanse us and also not just cleanse us from repeated failure, but cleanse us and give us an understanding, a revelation of what in the heck's going on. I've watched young men get a revelation of what we're talking about and it changes their battle for purity overnight. And I believe God, with all my heart, I believe God wants to take our battle men from the white knuckle club. Come on. Who's there with me? The white knuckle club, right? How have we trained our men? If sex is like monkeys, then we're going to train you right now. You ready, men? Let's have a training session. Are you ready? Don't think, don't think about monkeys at the count of three. There, you're trained now. I just trained you. You don't feel trained? I've trained you. I told you not to think about monkeys at the count of three. Okay, let's see how we're doing now. Ready? One, two, three. How you doing? Well, monkeys are swinging from branch to branch, and we're peeling bananas, you know, and it's like... Help us, Lord, help us. We got to go beyond the white knuckle club into a revelation of a daughter's heart. And we're going to see that. So we got something wrong with our culture. And I love the way he describes it. Even the other one in 17, he says, I'll show you the judgment of the great harlot. This spirit is brought down. It is, it is, this spirit has been defeated at the cross. That tells me there's an appropriation in the Holy Spirit for men to walk in victory. We do not have to live in a constant state of pattern defeat. We do not. And God has an appropriation for us in the Holy Spirit. I get really excited about it. I'm seeing young men. doesn't mean they're perfect. I'm not talking about but the process of stepping into the victory, bringing things into the light. John 1, 5. You know, I was, I was looking at this, the, this, the scriptures too. Just, just some, some background. Remember the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3? Remember the churches? There's seven churches. And, and uh, you know how, remember the presentation of Jesus comes to them? These seven churches, the, the Jesus presentation comes to you. And then I'll read some of them. The seven spirits, the seven stars, the holy and the true, the key of David, um, the amen and the faithful true witness, and one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life. These different presentations of, the, of Jesus coming to the church with what he has against them and the promise of what they will get if they overcome. Exciting, you know. But I was reading about it, and the churches, there's two places where he comes with some force. Listen, in Pergamum, he said, the one who has a sharp two-edged sword says this. And in the other one, it says, in Thyatira, the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire. Coming with a little more force. I mean, and, and you know what? Those are the two churches that were said to have been eating things sacrificed to idols and committing acts of immorality. So the churches that were dealing 
with sexual immorality, the churches that were not doing well in dealing with this sexual spirit, Jesus comes with the appropriate forcefulness. Isn't it interesting? He comes with this sword of the Spirit coming out of his mouth and eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. In other words, he's going to come with an appropriate forcefulness to deal with this spirit. The only two churches that mention that sexual immorality are the two places he comes with that forcefulness. The, 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 the sword coming out of his mouth, that, that, that sword. Sharp to cut, sharp to, to cut away, sharp to deal with this area in our lives. And it's out of that love. That's the revelation of Christ. It's going to come with a spirit of forcefulness to say we cannot play games with this. This is a destiny-destroying spirit. Do you want to talk to Samson about it? Do you want to talk about David and his stumbling and what, what could have been? Do you want to talk about Solomon who wrote, you know, had a God, re, uh, God came to him in person, allowed him to build the temple, but the 700 wives and the 300 concubines says those foreign wives turned his heart away from God. This will take destinies out. This will destroy destinies. And God is about destiny. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before I, you were born, I consecrated you. And in case of Jeremiah, to be a prophet. But who, in your case, fill in the blank. I mean, God's revealing that. He has a destiny for you. Before he formed you in the womb, he knew you. He saw you. And before you were born, he set you apart for a purpose to build his kingdom of God with him on the earth to be a co-laborer with him to take the treasure he's put inside you and see that treasure loosed for his kingdom but how many know that the treasure and the and the loosing of the treasure and the faith to loose the treasure and the joy and the and the intimacy to to walk to fuel the releasing of that treasure the intimacy you have to have cannot be clogged by the by the by sexual sin in any kind cuz that sexual sin cuts you off the intimacy is gone. The fuel is not there. That intimacy that, that allows you to carry the burden of the Lord and to release the treasure that's in you. And God's so longing. My, he's, he's thinking of you saying, I know the treasure I put in my daughter. I know that treasure. I want to send her to her classmates. I want to send her. I, I know the treasure in her. How many know that sexual sin brings shame? How many know that shame separates you from God? How many know it separates you from other people? It even separates you from a true understanding of who you are in Him. Those three separations take place. Boy, but when you break the shame, when you're willing to identify it and break it, you know what happens? That freedom and the intimacy, you're connected again. It's like, oh, Lord, and the enemy loves to see, you know what his greatest statement is? That when we sin sexually in any kind of form, the devil loves to say, God hates you. God hates you. He's so disappointed with you. And it separates us. God's about restoring. So it's so interesting that he came to those churches. I was reading also in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, they had a council in Jerusalem. And remember, they were, they were talking about what it would mean to really be a follower of Christ. They were trying to figure out what does conversion look like in this sex-saturated Greek and Roman world? And do we need to make people Jews 
They're coming out of the Gentile. They're coming out of Diana worship where they're worshiping sex gods, okay? So now that we got to make them Jews and then they can become Christians, can they go straight from worshiping sex gods into being a Jesus follower? And so what are we going to tell them? And remember what they came up with, this, this incredibly wise revelation of what they're going to require of New Testament believers. Wow. And it's amazing what they required. I... I I thought it just fits right into what we're talking about. Here's what it said. It said, it seemed good to us in the whole Acts 15, 28 and 29. After they met, they had the council, they met. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit to lay no greater burden than these essentials. No greater burden than these essentials. These are the marks of people who are converted out of the Gentile world, Diana worship, a thousand temple prostitutes in Ephesus, a thousand temple prostitutes in Corinth, to Diana, to Artemis. Sexual, sexuality, worshiping these gods with sexual experience. We're going to lay no greater burden than these essentials on you. Man, what is it, Lord? What is it? That you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and things with blood and strangled and fornication. So two, two seemingly dietary things, but then there's this, the two things were abstained from things sacrificed to idols and from fornication. If you keep yourselves from these such things, you do well, farewell. That was it. Sexual purity and an absence of idolatry, cultural idolatry. That's it. Like, nothing else? But isn't it interesting in a, in a sex-saturated Greek and Roman world that one of, the distinguishing, one of the distinguishing marks that was to be on every believer was this, this absence of sexual immorality, this, this absence of fornication? Isn't it? That was one of the marks that was supposed to... They're talking to leaders saying, this is what you need to call your people into if they're going to be following. This is, these are the essentials we have to talk about. We have to be dealing with this because this is so essential for life and, 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 and forward movement in the kingdom of God. Wow. We got to make that, that ought to be our requirement. That, that ought to be our gospel-driven, grace-filled calling to a generation. If you're going to be marked and identify in Christ, guess what? Well, that mean you never fall, you never, well, you don't, I, no, you're talking about the process, that this is our, our goal, is this, is this goal of the spirit of purity and walking in that sexual freedom of innocence, and that we're marked by that. That was the mark. These people gave themselves to this spirit. Now, if you've read about the Roman Empire, I mean, they, they literally, I mean, this is crazy, but, you know, we have, you know, they had a day dedicated to the male sexual organ. We have Father's Day, Mother's Day, Veterans Day, you know, you know. They had a day given to that. You wear necklaces with that figure around your neck. They had carvings on doors. I mean, it was, they were very sexualized. They were excavating the Pompeii it was, as late as 1985, 86, and they discovered another bathhouse that had 13 tile frescoes, and it described how many different stations. They had 13 different stations where you could go and have a different sexual experience in that place. It was a sexualized world 
But God was calling, birthing his church out of that, out of that. That tells me, you know, Lord, if you birthed a church in an atmosphere like that, surely you can raise up your church in this hour right here. That we will let you speak to us. And we have the answer. We have a message. We have the sexual spirit. It, it, it breaks people. The cultural mandate is, is if sex is like frosting, have as much frosting as you can with as many people as you can, as many different ways as you can. Frosting on one foot, frosting spinning, frosting hopping, stolen frosting, secret frosting, have you, whatever, you know, frosting, frosting, frosting. And the culture promises if you live the frosting life, you're going to be skipping down the street, you're going to have a smile on your face, your eyes are sparkling, your head, head is, is, you know, back, your smile on your face. And well, guess what? We're not seeing people dancing down the street who are living the frosting life. You know what we're seeing them doing? Waiting in line to talk to their pastor, waiting in line to talk to their counselor, waiting in line to talk to their psychiatrist, their, their psychologist, waiting in line at the pharmacy for antidepressant medication. One in 12 women in America is on antidepressant medication. And I'm not saying that to condemn anyone. Please listen to my heart. There is so much compounded brokenness in our culture because of this onslaught against the identity and the relationship formation ability because of a of a demonic assault against really our against our understanding of what God, the beautiful pattern He has for us to form relationships and to walk in purity. We're paying a high price for what's happened. And I believe God wants to take us beyond. I mean, we have a a kind of a helplessness. Like I said, if I got, have I had a dollar for every grandmother that came up to me and said, "My 13-year-old daughter, my 13-year-old daughter, do you, which tape should I give her? What? Do you think? Do you think?" And moms and dads are helpless. My daughter, my daughter's living with a guy. My son's in the gay lifestyle. What? Can you help me, please? I don't know what to do. It's a deep helplessness. And I believe God wants to give, and part, even part of the answer is beginning to talk about it. Just to begin to talk about this. Say, so we are going to talk about this. Young people are confused. Just throwing some things out here. Let me read a letter from a gal. She's talking about some freedom she got. It says, to be perfectly honest, until I heard your teaching, I had no idea how to have a healthy relationship with a man. I dated boys were just like my father, men who made a thousand promises and never kept a single one. I did what every broken girl does. I fell in love with everyone. Even though I craved emotional connection and needed real love, I settled for whatever I could get. That got me used up in ways that are too painful to think about. I had to hit an emotional rock bottom so I could even so like so I could then give control to God. Last summer my grandfather baptized me. I started going back to church. Come on. Though I was trying to make positive changes, 
A pain was still present inside me. That summer, I got back together with an ex-boyfriend, and everything fell apart again. I felt so hypocritical and so dirty. Why did I keep falling back into unhealthy patterns? Every morning, I put on my makeup and really looked at myself in the mirror, and all I could see was every mistake I'd ever made. I no longer valued myself, and I didn't feel worthy of God's love and certainly didn't deserve it. One afternoon, my grandpa gave me your book, and this isn't about my book. It's about God's work of truth, of wanting to heal a generation. This happened to be a tool that was used. It could have been a lot of other things, but I'm grateful. But he said, Grandpa gave me your book. I had to read it in 10-minute intervals because I was crying so hard. You nailed it, Pastor Jim, when you speak about the heart of a woman. It was there I found the love and restoration I so badly needed in my life. I asked God to walk through every detail of my past with me, every hurt that was tearing me up. Interestingly, I wasn't harboring hatred toward the men of my past because I blamed myself for letting them into my life and allowing those things to happen. When I surrendered my past to God, something amazing happened. I could still see my past, but I could no longer feel the pain of it. He separated my heart from my history. He took my pain, restored me, and made me new again. For the first time, I saw myself through his eyes, and I loved what I saw. That's your sister. That is one of your sisters. If you have any twinge of anything like that, God wants to do something with you. Well, let me skip. We, we have so much, and we, we aren't going to get there. But uh, let me get to the part I really want to take a minute to talk about. Yeah, let's do that. And um, we want to talk about this. In, in, in Genesis, remember the Genesis account? And, uh, and here's the sequence of the garden. This is what we talk about. We believe that part of the, the, the thing that we need to have a revelation about, this is one of the building blocks, one of the tools. I call it the sequence of the garden. What is the sequence of the garden? Do you remember the sequence of the garden? The first person the power of darkness ever talked to on the face of the earth was who? The first, first person on the face of the earth that the power of darkness ever talked to was a woman. Remember? It was the serpent to the woman. He assaulted her thinking. He loosed lies into her. He changed how she viewed God, how she viewed God's boundaries. He, there was an assault against even then her identity. As soon as God's identity was altered in her, we take our identity from God. Her identity was altered. Then she takes this new understanding. What did she do? She went to her husband and offered him what? The forbidden. Would you like some forbidden? You, you, you like some, you want some forbidden, don't you? You want some forbidden? <laughs> some forbidden? See, do we see the same pattern today? A daughter, the broken heart, a daughter assaulted by darkness, a daughter, for whatever reason, takes on a new identity through the demonic assault, through an empty heart. With that new identity, she approaches the man, access to his lower nature, and together they fall. This is called, we call it the sequence of the garden. The critical moment is this. I believe, man, this is the critical moment. I believe God, at the moment the forbidden is offered you, that God wants to give us a revelation of a daughter's heart. If we begin to understand that no daughter, now listen very carefully to me, based on how God designed a daughter's heart, 
No daughter on the face of the earth would ever offer herself to a man sexually outside of a, of a commitment called marriage unless there had been damage and an assault against her. It is the, it, a woman is not designed to give herself outside a context of safety and security and permanence and commitment. Every cell in her being is about safety, security, permanence, and commitment. It's how she was made by God. Those are the original design declarations. Maybe we can put them up. This, this is, these are the, we have five, we have seven declarations we want to make. Some about daughters and men. And here's the scripture. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. That's telling me that daughters, listen to me. God designed you to be praised. He designed every, all, the, all men to be saved. So this daughter who has a relationship, an intimate, growing relationship with God, God is saying, I'm intending you that you would have praise or that you would have, a, I, I change it, that you would have appropriate attention, that you were made by God to have appropriate attention in His timing, that He knows your heart. You're not designed to, be, to live starving for, but God wants you to have appropriate attention. And the, and the greatest decision you'll ever struggle with is how do I get that? Do I go with charm, the power of my sexuality, beauty, where I become the center of the universe? Or do I trust God that he understands you were designed for appropriate attention? I say to young women all the time, daughter, listen to me. Quit apologizing for wanting to be valued and to feel important. You were supposed to have that from the time you were a little girl. You were supposed to be... You're supposed to be overwhelmed by a sense that you were valued as a person so that later when your body changed and that new part of your identity would begin to come, that you would incorporate that into your already established identity. The identity that came all the years when you were female but not sexual. All those years you were supposed to hear how precious you were, how important you were, how valuable you were. And then when that change comes, you incorporate that new identity, that new sexual part of your identity into the already established identity. And it won't, it, so it won't dominate your whole life because there's an already an identity there. When that's not there, when that didn't happen, that's when that other identity can be so strong. We, we begin to understand the genesis of this. I was at an abortion clinic actually handing out child development pictures about children in the womb, you know, at the, at the third trimester, you know, the third month, the fourth month. And I'm handing those things out, and I'm like a grandpa, and I say, can I hand you something before you go in? And girls are going in for birth control, and, and I'm just standing there like a grandpa, and some of the girls come over. You know, I go, here, thanks so much. I know you got to get in for your appointment, but, you know, you remind me of my daughter, you know, and I've come to understand something about a daughter's heart that it was designed for safety and security and permanence and commitment. Oh, and another thing is that I believe a daughter was designed to be loved for who she is as a person and not what she can give a man sexually. Have you ever thought of that? Now, this girl has got her boyfriend, her body, and she's coming to get her birth control. Everything's cool in her life, except for I just prophesied to her how God made her. And every cell in her being is standing there looking at me going, 
this is who I am. I mean, and she began to cry. I'd known her for 30 seconds. And I believe if we are willing to do our homework, Paul was at Athens. He was provoked. And he didn't let his provocation lead to declaration out of irritation. But he, he let his proclamation, his, his provocation lead him to preparation so he could make a declaration out of revelation to a generation. And he talked about the unknown gods. And he, he did the homework to say, this is where they live and this is what I'm going to speak into. And I believe there's a generation being assaulted by sexuality and we got to do our homework and create a message, the, the gospel, the powerful gospel message of the blood of Christ. But we want to build a bridge into the very core of the pain of a generation where they're confused and broken by broken relationships and getting involved in sexuality and the, sec and the sin and the shame that they're carrying every day. People do not want to be invited to church to do shame management relocation. You can come to church with us. We'll give you a closet. You don't have to tell anybody. Don't. They don't want. They want to be set free from the shame. They want a generation actually that's dealt with their own shame to come up and say, I know the way out of hell. Can I tell you about my life? Can I tell you what it felt like for me to be stupid enough to give myself away? Can I tell you about the God of restoration that made me his princess, washed me, cleansed me? We have to recover our testimony for a watching and waiting world. Here's the rest. You are primarily relational and you're secondarily sexual through the covenant of marriage. Marriage allows you to safely open that personal and sacred part of your life to your husband because he's made a public commitment for you forever. You start talking to a daughter living with a man. If you can build enough relationship and begin to tell her she was designed for this, she's going to look at you and go, it's exactly how I feel. We're not condemning them. We're, in, we're prophesying design and calling them back into that place they know they really want to live. Look what we tell the guys. Note the theme of suffering, laying your life down. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is that ethic of sacrifice. And this is so it. We look at a young man and say, young man, you were designed by God to do what's right instead of what's easy. Especially in relationships. Especially in their sexuality. You were designed by God to look in a mirror and see someone you respect. Your fuel is honor. We live for that. If you're not able to look in a mirror and see somebody you respect, you're dying one day at a time on the installment basis. God has called you to be a protector and not a predator, and you were never designed by God to be bound. You're a lower nature. God wants to release grace to you so you can rule over your sexuality instead of your sexuality ruling over you. I'm, not, we're not, I'm, I'm talking about direction, not perfection. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. God's only going to always ask you, what do you want? And you have to say, I want you, Lord. A righteous man falls seven times. No matter what happens, no matter my failure, I'm going to get up again and say, Lord, no matter what I've just, I'm going to, I want you. It's a value statement that Jesus is worth getting up for every time. It doesn't matter. I'm going to get up. I'm going to get up every time. So that's, we're done. We're done. Well, we want to. You're the shepherd. We're just getting started. Yeah, I know. You're the we're shepherd. Getting, I know. We're getting started. But you're the shepherd. Let's yeah. let you.